Stand by while NCLA cuts through the noise to signal abuse of administrative power. This is Administrative Static with Mark Chenoweth and John Vecchione. Welcome to Administrative Static. Mark Chenoweth and John Vecchioni here. And we start off with uh, very big news. For a blockbuster. A, a blockbuster. Uh, on September 8th, the Fifth Circuit uh, affirmed in uh, major part the um, decision uh, by the district court to enjoin certain parts of the government from uh, interfering with social media and taking down uh, posts that the government disagrees with on social media. And um, I, I, I think that uh, they cut back certain of the agencies that the um, injunction applied to and, and tightened it up a little bit. But by and large, it is a vindication of the complaint and what the plaintiffs have done, in particular individual plaintiffs. Um, the court, uh, I, I'm actually going to um, do something I don't always do, but I'm going to read from some of this because it's, it's – um, it's pretty clear and it's and it's pretty important. And the first thing uh, that strikes me as soon as we got it in the first uh, it's by Judge uh, Clement Elrod and Willett and Mark and I discussed the oral argument. And here's what they say right off the bat. A group of social media users, our clients by and large, Jim Hoff, and two states allege that numerous federal officials coerced social media platforms into censoring certain social media content in violation of the First Amendment. We agree, but only as to some of those officials. So we affirm in part, reverse in part, vacate the injunction in part, and modify the injunction in part. And they set up the, um, they, they set up the facts in a way that I think um, really shows what we have demonstrated here. For the last few years, at least since the 2020 presidential transition, a group of federal officials has been in regular contact with nearly every major American social media company about the spread of, quote, misinformation on their platforms. In their concern, those officials hailing from the White House, the CDC, the FBI, and a few other agencies urge the platforms to remove disfavored content and accounts from their sites, and the platform seemingly complied. They gave the officials access to an expedited reporting system, downgraded or removed flag posts, and deplatformed users. Platforms also changed their internal policies to capture more flag content and sent steady reports on their moderation activities to the officials. That went on through the COVID-19 pandemic, the 2022 congressional election, and continues to this day. So that's how it starts off, Mark, and I don't think we could have asked for more than that from the Fifth Circuit. Yeah, I don't either. I think that was uh, they clearly got what was happening uh, in a factual basis. And then just just uh, I, I thought I might just share what the injunction is now that, Go ahead. you know, now because some folks have have tried to act like this maybe wasn't that big a deal. But here's here's the injunction now in place against the White House and these other federal officials that John referenced defendants and their employees and agents shall take no actions formal or informal, directly or indirectly, to coerce or significantly encourage social media companies 
to remove, delete, suppress, or reduce, including through altering their algorithms, posted social media content containing protected free speech. That includes, but is not limited to, compelling the platforms to act, such as by intimating that some form of punishment will follow a failure to comply with any request, or supervising, directing, or otherwise meaningfully controlling the social media company's decision-making processes. That's a pretty wide, wide, and that's the end of the quote. That's a pretty wide-ranging injunction right there. And the the reason I think um, that uh, that this is a, is good news is that this is the first time this has ever been done. This is unprecedented. And it, and it has not only been done by a district court, it has also been done by three judges of an appellate court. There are no dissents from anyone who's looked at this. The only issue is the legal issue of how broad the injunction is, who it applies to, what the factual record shows it should apply to. And they seem to have differed from Judge Dowdy a little bit on that. But the fact of the matter is, is that there is no dissent or or uh, nobody bought at the government's position that, uh, oh, these were just suggestions. Nobody bought on that, right. bid on that. And that is vital. And they'll also no one bit on the uh, suggestion that this is all fine. Right. As long as we're going after misinformation, right. then, then, right. We can, then we can violate the First Amendment. They did not. And, and, and so th- this is, that is huge. And um, I, I think also that this, uh, the government now has to deal with this injunction during this. Now, they, the, the government subsequently has moved for a stay or in, of, of the Fifth Circuit's injunction which they denied. They issued the mandate so that their their injunction is in place rather than the district courts. But they said, no, we'll give you administrative stay for 10 days. You go, don't, go take it somewhere else if you want. But this is what we've ruled. And um, I want to point out what happened to our clients here because the court did go through um, – the, the government said that no one had any standing. I'm not going to go through all the standing, but one of them was injury in fact. And uh, the they were very clear. Each of the individual plaintiffs has shown past injury. In fact, Bhattacharya and Koldorf's sworn declarations allege their article, the Great Barrington Declaration, which was critical of the government's COVID-related policies, such as lockdown, was deboosted in Google search results and removed from Facebook and Reddit. Their roundtable discussions with Florida Governor Ron DeSantis concerning mask requirements in schools was removed from YouTube. Calder also claimed censorship of his personal Twitter and LinkedIn accounts due to his opinions concerning vaccine and mask mandates. Both accounts were suspended, although ultimately restored. Cariotti, in his sworn declaration, attested the fact that his Twitter following was artificially suppressed. And then um, it goes on about uh, Jim Hoft, who's not our client, but also he does Gateway Pundit. He posts about stuff all the time, and it was downgraded. And then Jill Hines. And Hines' declaration swears that her personal Facebook account was suspended, and Facebook posts of her organization, Health Freedom Louisiana, were censored and removed. Now, the government did not even contest that. So right, you'd right. think- That all happened. They said, they said, oh, but we're not doing it. They can't show anything in the future. But everybody said, and this is an important finding of the court, we are chilling our speech because we are worried it will be taken down. And the Fifth Circuit said, you know what? That this chilling of the individual, individual plaintiffs' exercise of their First Amendment rights is itself a constitutionally sufficient injury. Now, that is the law. That is correct. But the government has never really addressed it. They've never agreed with it. They want the courts not to say that. Because if, they're trying to chill. Yeah. If you're self-censoring, they're happy about it. So I think that finding, Mark, and that, and that statement of the law and saying that th- these affidavits and declarations support that is very important in all these cases going forward. 
Um, and then uh, they also said that there's a risk. The government hadn't said they're not going to do it again. So that's the other reason. Well, so, and can I just. Yeah, go ahead. No, no, no. To, no, no. to your point about standing, I think that I think should encourage anyone else who's in this same boat to feel like they can go forward and seek relief uh, as well to the extent that this injunction doesn't doesn't give it to them. Uh, but but one of the things we didn't say about this injunction, it doesn't seem like it's limited to these defend or to these plaintiffs. It says defendants shall take no actions uh, to, to do these things with regard to uh, to, to free speech. So it, it's not just limited to these plaintiffs. And let's talk about that a little bit, because um, I think that it does. It, the, the injunction basically says that the defendant shall not do this. But I have this is my um, thought. I haven't looked up the law on it or anything. But who can enforce this? I think our clients can. Louisiana and Missouri can. But does anyone get to come in and enforce? I, I presume now that RFK has been his case has been joined, probably he, he could. But um, I, the only thing that I, I don't know in the law is whether anyone anyone can now file a case along these bases, it seems to me. Right. But can anyone enforce the injunction? And I just don't know the answer to that. But it is clear that the defendants aren't supposed to be doing this regardless of who they do it to. It's not like they shall not do this to Carity and Koldorf and Hines and Bhattacharya and and, and uh, Hoft. Oh, right. right. It, it's don't do it to anybody, which is extremely important as far as everybody's First Amendment rights. Absolutely. Um, and so uh, that's why this is public interest law, John. That's exactly right. <laughs> That's exactly right. Um, so um, I, I want to go uh, to a little bit about the free speech aspect of this. Um, the Fifth Circuit said that the government cannot abridge free speech. And they just cite U.S. Constitution Article 1. There's not a lot of string sites there. Um, a private party, on the other hand, bears no such burden. It is not ordinarily constrained by the First Amendment. That changes, though, when a private party is coerced or significantly encouraged by the government to such a degree that its choice, in quotes, which if made by the government would be unconstitutional, must in law be deemed to be that of the state. And they cite Blum v. Oretzky, which is the Supreme Court, and, and, and Barnes v. Lehman, which is them. <laughs> so um, this is known as the close nexus test. And uh, and then they do clarify something a little bit because this hasn't come up so much. I mean, every it, it's not um, all of these concepts and, and these legal principles are in the law, but what they're called and how how the various courts have addressed them has changed over time. And and so what they say in their footnote is note that at times we have called this test by a few other names and they cite it the state compulsion or coercion test. We settle that dispute now. It is the close nexus test. A close nexus is required. In addition, some of our past decisions have confused this test with the joint action test, but they are two separate tests with separate considerations. All of this is another reason this case is important because this has been, if you look through the circuits, this has been, uh, what do we call it? How do we do it? What's the test? And at least in the Fifth Circuit, they are focusing like a laser and making it more understandable for everybody. So uh, I think that for practitioners and for people who want to file a case, this is important. What are you saying the government did and what are you saying about the uh, about the private actors? And, so, and what test does the Fifth Circuit say you have to meet to, to win? 
Right. And we'll talk a little bit more about this when we come back. But I think that um, that private actor issue is going to come up again and again. Be right back. Welcome back to Administrative Static. Mark and I are, are discussing the Fifth Circuit's uh, injunction decision. Monumental. In, in Missouri v. Biden. And uh, I want to, one of the things that has come up uh, in the social media t- time and, and that is breaking new ground over the last uh, few, few years, really five years at most, I'd say, is this issue of private actors. And what the Fifth Circuit had to deal with was a number of things. They said that, um, that number one, can the government speak? Under the test, meaning the test we were just talking about, um, that they the close, nexus, the close test. nexus test that they call it. Under that test, we begin by identifying the specific conduct of which the plaintiff complains. That was us getting thrown off social media, right? So then we ask whether the government sufficiently sufficiently induced that act. They say not just any coaxing will do, though. After all, quote, the government can speak for itself, they quote a case, which includes the right to, quote, advocate and defend its own policies, and they quote cases. But on one hand, there is persuasion. On the other, there is coercion and significant encouragement, two distinct means of satisfying the close nexus test. And they cite Louisiana Division, Sons of Confederate Veterans versus the city of Natchitoches. Um, so I, I think that's where they're trying to draw the line. And that's a, a lot of this, a lot of this opinion is about. And um, they, I'm not going to go into it. They, they find there's easily in this case, and because the facts were so well developed, the encouragement and the coercion was, was very clear because of the sheer volume of it. And I've said previously that, um, you know, um, there, there, there is an amount of um, that that um, the the amount of uh, encouragement can lean over into into coercion when it's when it's sufficient enough, and it certainly was here. Well, and and I think our fearless leader uh, Philip Hamburger said in his Wall Street Journal op-ed that we talked about on this show many episodes right. ago. You know, if the FBI is calling you every day saying, "Hey, have you done anything yet?" You're tipping over from encouragement uh, into coercion at that point, or or at least that's if that's not coercive, it's enough to abridge free speech if the if the FBI is doing that to you. Right, and so they the the, um, the Fifth Circuit started going through cases like Blumford Yuretsky, but the one that I really enjoyed, where that I hadn't remembered from the briefing, which was seems so Louisiana, which was Roberts versus Louisiana Downs Inc., and there. A horse racing club's action was attributed 
to, attributable to the state because the Louisiana government, through legal and informal supervision, was overly involved in the decision to deny a racer a stall. And I was thinking, as Mark said earlier, I wonder who the government, uh, the governor was betting on. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, so, uh, so they they compared that to Blum versus Uretsky. That's the opposite end, and that was coercion and uh, significant encouragement. So um, they really go through that this is going to be fact-bound because they also point out – I'm not going to go through all the cases, but the one that is now live and where I think that the, a, a division in the, um, in the circuits may be coming up is National Rifle Association v. Vulo. And they address it, and they say, listen, the Second Circuit said uh, that they looked at this, and, and they felt that um, it was carrying out regulatory responsibilities and wasn't really coercive in what they had told the banks. In that case, basically the banks were, uh, I think, urged to, to cut off the NRA's ability to have credit and things like that. But um, they they differentiated it from this case. And But th what this all shows with this test and Bantam Books is you have got – courts have got to allow these cases to go forward when you allege these things. Once you've alleged the government's doing this, once you have alleged that these companies have, have – um, and you've alleged facts, you know, that these companies ha aren't doing this of their own free will. Then the courts have got to be allowing uh, cases to go forward. Yeah, and I think that's one of the reasons, John, that maybe the court should have drawn the line in slightly a different place, which is to say, it's one thing to say it's the bully pulpit, the government has its speech, et cetera. That's all fine if if that's happening at a podium in public where everyone can see it and and everyone can judge what those officials are saying. When you start picking up the phone and having one-on-one -on -one conversations and going up the chain to hire and hire people of authority within the company with your message of what you want the company to do, I don't know how that's policed by anybody other than the person who's the victim of the either coercion or significant encouragement or joint action. And if it is joint action, by the way, how is that policed by the person who's the victim of that joint action? If the company and the government are agreeing to do this, then how does... How does the, the the person who is just the average social media user whose account is being uh, deplatformed, or I guess you know if you're deplatformed, but if you're just being throttled or something, you may not may not know that. If you're being demonetized, you may not fully. And you be may able not know that. the reason. And you may not know the reason. And so, if you draw the line in in a place where where that where the the drawing of the line is essentially uh, you know b behind closed doors or or someplace where it's hard to police. I think you're really creating a possibility that the First Amendment will continue to be violated. Right. And I, I will say this. The other thing they did, which I think is important in the Surgeon General area, is they said that the lack of direct – because the Ninth Circuit uh, – Senator Elizabeth Warren had been sending these letters to people she didn't like telling them to stop doing things, and they sued. And, uh, and, and uh, the Ninth Circuit said, well, you know, she's one senator. She really can't do anything except – except complain to you. So we don't think that's coercive because it's just one senator and she doesn't have executive power and all this other stuff. So, But what they said is that's true, but the lack of direct authority is not entirely dispositive. And I think they're doing this for the Surgeon General because our argument is Surgeon General doesn't have any dog in this fight. There's no power in the Surgeon General to do anything about social media. It's beyond his remit, but he's doing it. He's threatening these people. He's sending them you know, inquests. So I think that's what they are aiming at here. Yeah. I thought you were going to say they said, nonetheless, Senator Warren persisted. <laughs>
unfortunately they said she's allowed to persist. Oh, okay. All right. Okay. Gotcha. <laughs> so, gotcha. so anyways, and, and I have to say, I can't, I mean, uh, angry letters from congressmen. I'm like, eh. Um, that, that's not the same thing as getting a demand for turning over records correct. from the Surgeon General correct. or the FBI or a White House official. That's right. And so um, in, in, in any way, so they say to sum up, under the close nexus test, a private party's conduct may be state action if the government coerced or significantly encouraged it. And, and they say, although this test is not mechanical. Um, and they talk about sifting facts, blah, blah, blah. There are clear, although not exclusive, ways to satisfy either prong. And then they go on, here's what, here's what satisfies encouragement. We read the law to require that a governmental actor exercise active, meaningful control over the party's, private party's decision in order to constitute state action. That reveals itself in one entanglement in a party's independent decision making. We totally have that here. They Any independent decision, they got called the next day Two, direct involvement in carrying out the decision itself and here we have them saying why isn't that post down why haven't you taken this down um and then and then they go on in any of these scenarios the state has such a close nexus with the private party that the government actor is practically responsible for the decision because it has necessarily encouraged the private party to act and in turn commandeered its independent judgment and I think that commandeered its independent judgment is going to be an important uh, quote and, and standard going forward. Well, it's interesting if that if they'll be pulling from the same sort of commandeering test that you have for federal officials encouraging state officials to do things. That's what I'm wondering. That's what I think is going on here. And then uh, but, I, but, but let me just say, I'm not sure that's the right test. And the reason is and this is borrowing from from Philip Hamburger as well. The First Amendment says that Congress shall make no law abridging the, the freedom of speech. And abridging means reducing in any way. And I think that the test that, you know, even though I, everything John read, and I, I think that'll go a long way toward protecting the First Amendment, I don't think it goes all the way to protecting the First Amendment. And I think that, that some of the things that will still be allowed under that test will abridge free speech. They may not abridge free speech as much as what the government had been doing in this case, but they'll still be able to get away with a little bit of abridgment, and that shouldn't happen. And I think we need a test that's a little more strenuous than what the Fifth Circuit endorsed here if we're going to, to, to see the social media platforms continue to be a public square that doesn't have free speech abridged. Yeah, and I, I think strenuous towards the government activity. Yes, yeah, that's I, what I mean. I, yeah, yeah, I, I agree with that. And But I think I think the um, and, and I totally agree with the abridgment point. Obviously, I'd like a, 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 a better test, but at least this is setting out something that solves or at least addresses certain litigation problems, not conceptual problems that uh, Professor Hamburger is talking about and and textual originalist problems, but litigation problems The what do you allege? How do you keep your case in court? How do you get the discovery to find any of that stuff? That's the one that we don't have an answer to, though, uh, because here we got discovery. But as you know, we have another case where we didn't get discovery. What happens the next time someone comes forward and alleges these things? Are they going to get discovery? And if they don't and their case is dismissed, is a court of appeals going to say that shouldn't have been dismissed? You need they need discovery on whether or not they were victims of First Amendment I, suppression. And I believe that they follow the Fifth Circuit. The answer is going to be yes, because now you have a. Uh, pathway to do it. And obviously in our Shangizi case, one of the things we've argued to beat the band is that, look, we, we alleged all this against the Surgeon General. 
So um, I think that this this um, opinion is a step forward, that it's in an appellate court is a big deal. We do not know as uh, we sit here whether the government is going to try to either get a rehearing in bank or go to the Supreme Court and emergency petition or any of that. But given their um, their uh, extreme extremely uh, contumacious, uh, it's not really contumacious because they're they're applying to law, but um, uh, obstreperous behavior, uh, I, I would think they were going to take some action. And we will let you know what that is. But I, I think that um, this this uh, injunction is enough that they're not going to like doing this either. They're not going to like doing this. And, and I think that a lot of what the New York Times and others uh, have said, Washington Post and so forth, about how this isn't that big a deal. Uh, hopefully, the conversation here has let people know that's that's really not this is a big deal, it's unprecedented, and it's helpful for free speech. Yeah. And we'll be right back. <laughs> 